ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. And today um, I have with me Dawn Montgomery. And Dawn has transitioned in, in a, to multiple careers and now has a foothold in the sports industry. And her story and her journey are similar to mine in some ways. And I found that out during research. And I think this is gonna be a really interesting conversation. And you know, it's the kind of thing that I like to do on here, go beyond just what's happening on fields and on courts and talk about these other um, sports related issues. So welcome for the first time here on Hard Thank to Paint, you. Dawn Montgomery. Thank you so much, I appreciate that. Um, there is so much in your background. <laughs> and I think, you know, um, your first public attention was that as a model, um, doing some acting, um, some videos and things like that. And then you were ready to transition. Right. Um, what was that turning point like to say, I've had enough of this life and I'm going to invest now in something completely different? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I will say life happened. I ended up... Um, it was the year 2010. Um, I was dating my ex-husband at the time and he proposed. And then the following year, I had um, a friend who, I had three friends who passed away. Um, one who worked side by side with me in the modeling career. She actually modeled maybe two or three years more than me. Um, and the I think that February I got married before February I found out I was pregnant with my middle child Christopher um March happened then April we both opened up a family business family law firm then May I was walking across the stage getting my <laughs> getting my uh degree from Mayor Kasim Reed, who is also a former classmate of my ex-husband's at Howard University Law. And so the following month was June, and I had my son Christopher at the beginning of the month. My other son, Sean, is born. So Christopher's born on June 16th. Sean's born June 23rd. So literally, <laughs> when I say 2011 was probably that most turning point year in my life where any and everything that could possibly happen happened and I had to deal with so much during that particular year and by the time I got my degree and I had finished school I was like you know what I've got one more hair campaign that I have to do so I'm going to do that and then I'm going to retire I'm going to figure out what it means to me to be a wife I'm going to figure out what it means to be to, to be a new mom now again um, I'm going to figure out what it means to me to actually do the work that I love. And I love modeling. I still um, dabble with it to this day. But that year, 2011 in itself, was that year where it was like, okay, figure out what you really want to do. So 
and helping my ex-husband open up his business, um, I started looking at things where for myself, what would I do if someone was to pay me on a regular basis? And I've always had a love for sports. I've always been uh, a writer all of my life. I've My first published article was probably at the age of six. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like literally one of those things where I've, I've always had this drive to do something more than what I was already doing. And so at the time I started reaching out to um, different media outlets that were already established. Um, for one, uh, Black Sports Online, that experience was not well. I've already shared that journey. <laughs> um, yeah, that, but- that, that could be a couple of episodes on, <laughs> on its own with all the people who have had negative experiences yeah, uh, yeah. dealing with that. And, and I, I mean, mine was brief. But my my interaction was negative, and it was only like and like when I you know when I came out with my story to support the women who came out front on this to share their their experiences. I feel like part of the reason why my experience wasn't as bad as theirs was because I was married. So imagine if I wasn't married and I was trying to break into this industry, it would have been probably just like along that same level of like, uh, it was just that that was just just horrible like in general. So. Um, I do know I reached out to him, dealt with that back and forth. And then it was like, okay, you know, I'm tired of that. And then I got this opportunity from one of my good friends who is an athletic director now at the University of New Orleans, um, Tim Duncan. Yeah. So I got an opportunity from him to attend his emerging AD conference that he had started while he was at Clayton State University, right outside of Atlanta. And, um, I attended the conference and I was like, you know what? Honestly, I don't think I want to work for a university. I'm not knocking anybody that's a school administrator who wants to do those things or who wants to be the change inside of a program in a university like that. I commend people that want to do that, but I know me. I cannot edit my mouth. I cannot edit my thoughts and how I feel about certain things. And there's just certain things that I was learning and I was like, you know what? This is not for me, but <laughs> but I was able, I was able to network with other administrators, people that attended this um, this conference that I still can call upon today and ask for advice or suggestions on how to share different experiences as it pertains to as student athletes or even administrators for that extent. So I know I attended that conference at least two years straight, and then that's when. The, uh, that's when I think after the first year was when I created the sports blog um, fans favorite fan and when I created that and I went back to attend the second year I was like okay I I'm already I know what I want to do I'm on the path I just have to I have to network it's not even going to be networking laterally like I'm not going to be able to do it mm-hmm. it's not even going to be vertical going up it's literally going to be like zigzag like I'm going to have to find the people in certain areas um, of a program or a university or a network or a media outlet who will give me access, period. Mm. And so in the midst of that, I was also writing on the side for Ball Alert. Ball Alert was, yep. um, they gave me my first yes, my first official yes. Now this is after like 52 no's. They gave me a, my first official yes. And I ended up leaving there because of the story that came out on Adrian Peterson at the time. Um, and his son. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not report that story. Another person from Ball Alert reported it. 
And my higher up reached out to me and asked why I didn't do it when she realized that I was good friends with his wife. And it was at that moment where I literally had to make a decision whether hurting relationships of people that I'm associated with who have given me access to their real lives, not just what I see on social media, not just what they want reported or shared in the news or pitched in the news. I'm talking about real lives. What's happening in somebody's life. I was not willing to do that. (laughs) So I literally told her, listen, that wasn't my place. Also, the story you all reported was incorrect. I can give you a little more details, but I can't go into what I have reached out to find out. Um, But right after that, I think I did two or three more stories and I walked away. Now, one of my biggest stories that I broke was what was happening with Gremlin players in their um, facilities. Yep. And those players came to me to share how they felt about what was happening. And I w- that was one of my biggest stories that I broke there amongst other stories I had broken. So at that time, me realizing that I had this space to do it, I was still limited. So I had this outlet that I had created, which was the sports blog. And then I felt as if, okay, well, if I'm able to break news, just like any and any and everybody else that has access to social media, then there's this aspect of it where I want to be more than a blogger. I need to add the journalist piece to it. And mm-hmm. I've always been a writer. So my writing experience could have given me my journalist tag. But I feel like in the sports industry, if you haven't physically been credentialed to cover a game or physically been in, in, in the room with these people, mm-hmm. um, then I feel feel like you're just another blogger to them and that's how they see you so that's kind of that's kind of the brief (laughs) the brief summary of how I made that transition and what it looked like for me in real time and I you know to this day I still feel as if I probably made one of the best decisions I could have made in making that transition and just being true to what I really enjoy and love yeah, I like like I said, our paths are so similar um, because I had gotten into actually collegiate communications. Um, I was working at Southern University of New Orleans right. as the communications director and the um, sports information director. Mm-hmm. And that's where I fell in love again with sports mm-hmm. journalism, um, writing the stories about the athletes, traveling with them on occasion and being around that. That made me fall back in love with it. But the university, the confines of, it, of, of the university yes. and, and the particular challenges that an HBCU faces. Yes, yes. Structurally, culturally, financially, all those things. They made it very difficult for me to be what was known as a team player. Right. You know, um, my thing was, I, my goal is always to do the best. I'm going to do the best thing possible based on what I know in my profession, best practices, things that are successful. Mm -hmm. If you're not about that, we have a problem. And I'm not really good at suffering fools lightly in that regard. So yes, when I left the second school (laughs) I was working with, I was at Dillard University and I love my boss. And to this day, he is one of the biggest supporters of my career in the when, since I got out of that. But at the time, I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. I've been there about a year, and I was like, I just can't do this. I can't play this game. This isn't me. 
and I just had to go. It's a game. And I think that, you know, with the access that the young, the next generation has, um, I don't think they understand when you're really in it and you have to pick and choose. I don't think that they're going to be prepared for making those type of tough decisions. So I do believe that there are going to be some people who are going to just go with it. And to me, I, I, you know, I feel like me and you are one of those people where we was like, nah, we're good. You know, like I take, <laughs> I'll take my little experience. Yep. I'll take whatever I have and I'll create my own lane. I'll create my own outlet or what have you. And even in doing creating my own, and here's where we mess up as a community sometimes when we create our own, we always want to be the face of what it is that we're doing, or we always wanted to be surrounded on our ideals, our values, mm-hmm. and who we are, when your business should be separate, my opinion. And you should also be bringing more people in with mm-hmm. you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of the things that I'm seeing with the newer generation is it's me, 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 me. And trust me, I get it. Coming out the gate, you might feel like it needs to be about you, 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 you. But if you're not bringing in someone behind you to watch what you're doing or see some of the decisions that your team, actually two, two or three different teams that worked under me while I was at Fans Favorite Fan and still there, but um, while we were active. And all of those people are doing different things. There are three, there are maybe five of them that are actively in a sports related sports industry career mm-hmm. and have been on that track since they've worked with me. And those five people, I will say, have seen the decisions I've had to make, have seen some of the things I've had to turn my head away from and act like it didn't happen. Or even if it did, how I rose up to use my voice in, mm-hmm. in that matter. So I just feel like, you know, at this point in time, I'm, you know, I see a lot on social media and I know you see it too. But a lot of times I have to jump in somebody's DM and be like, okay, so it's you that's doing the work, but who else is working with you? And I'm asking these questions, not to shade the person for what they're doing, but to let them know, you know, I also see your, your, your tweets and your messages about how you're burnt out and you're blah, blah, blah. Well, if you're burnt out, find somebody that's, that wants to write sometime. Find somebody that wants to be a guest host or something or something like that. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's just... To me, some things aren't necessarily solely about you. And I think when I built Fans Favorite Fan as a sports blog, it was already like at a point where I felt like, okay, I, it can't just be me writing. Mm-hmm. It can't just be me. And that's always how, how my mentality has worked. And I'm still like this. It can't just be me. Mm-hmm. So in any and everything that I'm doing, even while, you know, covering uh, the Super Bowl while I was in Tampa, I had one student shadow me on my day off. Because you can't shadow me while I'm actually working. Right. Because you don't pass. I'm credentialed in certain areas you can't get to. So on my day off, part of the day, I let this person, you know, this student basically follow me around and see some of the the things that I had to do to prepare to cover everything on the weekend. And yeah, that might not have been the glitz and glamour of it, but. That's that's the day, though. That's that's every day. Exactly. So. So, so I just, I just, you know, to go along with what you're saying, I just, that, that brings up that mentality of like, literally 
when you have to make these decisions, you're, you're also making these decisions because there's going to be somebody that comes behind you that's inspired by you that wants to do the things that you're doing. So you've got to make sure that you've got that credibility and something that people can speak on your reputation to say, you know what, at the end of the day, she was real. Or at the end of the day, he kept it, he kept it honest. At the end of the day, he was very straightforward, like those type of things. Yeah. You, it, people smell inauthenticity. It, it's not, you know, it's, it, it's a stench. And I think that you're <laughs> right that there's, when there's a lot of people who get into this because they want to be able to say that they were at events, that to yeah. be able to say that they talked to such and such and yeah. to be in the mix, just to be in the room. Oh and half these people y'all want to interview and be around no, <laughs> no and, and you're not going to get what you want out of it without the the time of putting in and mm-hmm. doing the grunt work like i don't think that i could to could get the to the level of interviewer that i think i am today and i'm continuing to try to improve with that if i hadn't had all the bad interviews the times wow. where i didn't ask too many yes or no questions where yes. i didn't hadn't done enough research about my guest to be able to ask them something that they hadn't heard a thousand times before. And if you're just going into it to talk about how awesome people are or how bad people are at something or to try to make a, you know, always have a list of something. These are the best that's, and these are the worst this. You won't last because you have no voice. None whatsoever. None and they don't read either. They don't have a favorite writer. Right. And there was, you know, Ralph Wiley, the, the great sports journalist, um, I have a couple of his books and I loved reading him while he was around. And one of the things he said is like, if you don't have a favorite writer, then what are you doing? How can you call yourself a writer? Yep. If you don't have a favorite writer, if you don't have somebody that's, you know, so those people, the Howard Bryant's, the, you know, Jamel Hills, all these talented writers that I follow from different walks of life. William C. Roden. Yep. I got to meet him at NABJ and it was like, shaking the hands of of like a godfather listen it meeting him the few times that i've met him has always left me like jaw dropped literally you know a jamel hill like that has meant a lot and you know to even even while running my own company to even have the the opportunity to interview a Taylor Rooks before Taylor Rooks reached that next level. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things where I called it. It's like, you know, it's something about that one. <laughs> like, I hate to say it like that, but it, that's the country in me. It's like, it's, no, it's something about that girl right there that I need to, I need to tap into that real quick mm-hmm. and do a feature because that was something that we did that I was dedicated to on fans favorite fan was featuring women in sports, the women in sports, whether they were people like, uh, I think her name is Shelby Clayton. God forgive me if I'm getting her name wrong, but she works with Twitter sports now. Mm-hmm. She's a UGA grad and she's somebody we er- we interviewed early on because of some of her work that I, that caught my eye. It's like, it's people like her and Taylor where it's like, we kind of put the word out a little more about them. And at that moment, it was like, okay, this is how I keep the focus off of me. This Mm -hmm. is how I keep the focus more on the work, if that makes sense. And I feel like for a lot of people, it's, oh, I want to be, when they see fans, favorite fan, they automatically think that we're just fans, really. And really and truly the name itself came from, 
I am a sports fan in general. This mm-hmm. is a company. This is a blog I, I created. This is a company I built. And I'm generally a fan's favorite on social media and any topics that are being discussed. So literally fan's favorite fan. Like I was like, okay, cool. And I've gotten some, some, some slack about that, especially to get access as a media member because of the word fan in there. But when but you- there's re- fan cited as a whole website. Listen, it is a whole website and gets access to any and everything, even before they even were affiliated with anybody else. You get what I'm saying? So, but here's the difference. That's a company that generally has white males doing it, writing mm-hmm. it, showing up. Here it is, a black woman, nobody knows anything of, or if they know of her, the only thing they know of her is her modeling career. And it's like, oh, she's trying to get next to the players. Sweetheart, I done dated players before my ex-husband. I done, you know, like I'm still cool with a bunch of players. Like to this day, there's a lot of people that people don't know that I am good friends with and talk to on an everyday basis. And it's like, it ain't your business. If I'm coming in here and I'm telling you that I'm wanting to cover this game, I'm telling you why. I'm telling you what my coverage looks like, how it's going to come off on, on my website, and why we cover the fan experience and how it's going to affect your fan base. Give me access. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> it's either you're going to give me access now or I'm going to come get access later. And generally, that's how it's worked for me. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I've always made sure that I've, paid attention to the movers and shakers as well as the up and coming and then just making sure I give due where it needs to be given to our godfathers or the godmothers you know mm-hmm. the the people that have literally gone through hell in order for those of us to have it a lot easier this go round. so yeah you ain't gonna never catch me not able to reference anybody that did something before me but I will say in this space I do believe that I am the godmother of this, <laughs> of what I'm doing, because I don't think that I've been able to find anybody that really actually focused in on the fan experience in general and still had the media aspect, the journalistic aspect to what we were doing, because we were working with companies. Mm-hmm. We were doing, we were giving them access to data and information that we were gathering from covering and doing different types of tailgates with other um, power five schools. So this, like when I say it's a whole nother thing that I'm, that, that, that platform gave me, like, I'm literally like paying attention. Okay. Everybody wants to write. Everybody wants to, you know, do videos and, you know, podcasts and find, yeah. But who's talking about what the, like the things that the fans actually want or that they're looking for, or the news that they want somebody to focus more in mm-hmm. on, you know what I'm saying? So, or a, a better, a better breakdown of an issue that happened that maybe no one's familiar with, you know? So, um, yeah. But then the funny thing about that is my demographic, my demographic for that website has mm-hmm. always been white males between the ages of maybe 30, 45, always. And see, that's what tells you in this business when people tell you about what won't attract folks, mm-hmm. content will attract eyes. And that's just, it's, you put up good content mm-hmm. and, and give us the opportunity. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Exactly. Us will exactly. fail, but just like in any other group, there's going to be folks that fail and there's going to be folks that nail this. And exactly. exactly, I think it broadens your base. And I've been trying to tell people that I said purely on economic reasons. Mm-hmm. We know that talk 
uh, media and sports bloggers, like I said, the audience predominantly are white men. We know this. Yes. Because all the hosts, 97% of the hosts are white men. Yes. Because the topics you are catering to cater to white men. Because the guests, the overwhelming majority of your guests are white men. Mm -hmm. So business-wise, if you want to have people of color, if you want to have women tune in more, you don't have to pander to any of those people by talking only about black or women's topics. You don't only yeah. bring women on to talk women's basketball. You yeah. don't only bring women on to talk about lacrosse. Yes. You bring people on to talk about everything and you treat them with the respect that you would retreat any reporter. And I, I firmly believe that audiences will expand, that there is just a, a group of people who have been left out in the cold because there's nothing like them out there. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as you, once you include them, once you include them, then they're gonna tell their friends, their friends are gonna tell more people. And then you have this whole community that is now included and invested in what you're doing and how you made that inclusion happen. People are talking about diversity. People are talking about diversity. People are talking about diversity. They talking but about it. The they talking about it. Right, but where's right. the inclusion part? Right. The inclusion part. The, to me, inclusion is more of an action. Diversity, okay, you're, you're raising the awareness that you don't have it. Right, but uh, what you doing to go get it? Because it's, it's it, 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 I have discovered, and I try to, in similar pattern, try to try to mentor because of the people who have mentored me, mm -hmm. and I try to identify folks and and help them find the resources, tangible and intangible, that they need to do better. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just, I just firmly agree. Yeah, we because schools of journalism have gotten cut back because yeah. the practical experience has gotten cut back, like especially now in the COVID time where you can't get in the stadium to save you behind. But <laughs> it's just, it's, it's so much more important. And I don't know people do this all the time, whether you do a podcast, whether you do a website or whatever, you better be able to do all the things in some capacity. You better um, be able to get behind a mic. You better be able to be on camera. You better be able to write. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're right. Because that's what I, you know, I think someone asked me the other day, um, what was it? Uh, I think it was more along the lines of they were being pitched more video content. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cute. Um, and then the person came back and said something to the nature of, once I feel comfortable after doing the video content for you, I'll write. No, that's not how that works. Cause you gotta write, you gotta write treatment and pitches for the for the video content. So what you mean you can't write for me first? You can, <laughs> like, and then look at the look at the the medium that you're reaching out to. That particular medium that they reached out to is in print. Hello? Video does not translate into like you can translate video into print, but you gotta write. It all starts there. It all starts there. If you can't so, write in this, you can't you know, so survive. how to do all the things, I feel like the next generation is more focused in on the video stuff because they feel like it can be grabbed quicker, which it, which it can. And I get that on social media. But, but it doesn't it, last. There you go. There you go. It doesn't last. But here you are, not wanting to write articles, not wanting to do research on a particular topic that interests you in the sport or in the industry itself. And it's just like, 
now you're not necessarily, to, to me, now you're, you're just unilateral, unilateral is what I'm trying to say. And to me, like you're saying, you have to be multidimensional, mm-hmm. period. Absolutely. Absolutely. So fan's favorite fan has been on a bit of a hiatus. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And you have, because you have been dealing with a lot Man. as of late. And again, like you, you talked about 2011, but you have, you have to make my heart just because you really did your research, honey. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I'm just, but I'm just, I, just I mean, you don't, I don't feel free to explain as much as you would like to explain, but I, I know what I want to go into next. But just dealing with this right now, the hiatus and 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 let's, coming, let's talk about it. to come back. Let's talk about it because as a black woman in sports. As a black woman in sports, I don't think I've heard from other black women in sports that have actually shared beyond maybe harassment, beyond maybe a work office environment, beyond maybe, you know, a life event like marriage or a loss of family or something like that. I have yet to hear them really speak on the issues that we deal with as women. And when I say that, I say like for me, I had a rough pregnancy just recently, not too long ago. And I had to literally, it got to a point, the last game I covered was in September. I was at Raymond James Stadium and I was working, I do believe that might've been a UCF game if I'm not mistaken. And um, I was working, covering this game, doing fine. And all of a sudden, I think it was at halftime. I was like, okay, I've got most of my pregame stuff done. I've got most of my first half done. Let me get started on my second half stuff and get ready for post game interview interviews and things like that. And I, and I got really, really sick and ran like to the bathroom, right? Not going to get any graphic more than that, but just know that by the time the game was over with, I was like so weak that I could barely move my things. I had to get an usher to help me take my things down to the post-game interview room in the stadium. And while I'm in there, had one or two questions, got my questions out, got that recorded. I had to go to the parking lot. I got escorted to the parking lot because the same usher made sure I was good from the time I got down there to out of the stadium to my car. I get to my car and I had to sit there for a good 30 minutes. When I say I was so sick and I did not know what it was, I was like, oh my God, maybe it's just, you know, the fact that I had just left my managing editor position at the newspaper and it's just really hitting me that all of this, I really got to make something. I got to take fans, favorite fans to the next level. I got to figure out something and blah, blah, blah. Um, maybe it was all of that. Well, come to find out I was pregnant. <laughs> and mind you, earlier that month, my divorce was final. So... <laughs> Timing is everything. Right. So here I am finding out a month later, I'm pregnant, finding out around the time of my ex-husband's birthday. I'm informing him, hey, pregnant, it's yours. Happy birthday. You know, like that's not the call you want. That's not the gift that he was expecting. Listen, it's not what he, it's not even something I wanted to do, you know. Right, like we done. Right. Let's try to move on. But it happened. And, you know, it was one of those things where I got really, really depressed instantly. Now, mind you, the last time I probably suffered or dealt with any type of 
like severe depression might have been when I left my husband back in May 2015. And that was because it was the it was my decision to leave. It was my decision to know that this was not going to work. We both have done the best that we could. I'm not going to throw him under the bus. It's just, okay, look, you see it ain't working. I see it ain't working. It's really starting to bother me and basically hurt me physically. I got to go and I got to figure this out. So in the, in the midst of us being separated and trying to work through things or try to figure out what it was going to look like or what it's not going to look like, finding out that I'm pregnant now was a whole different thing. And then I'm finding out that I'm so far along that I've got to make the decision you know, at this point, no, at this point, the decision to abort really wasn't an option. Mm -hmm. It became an option when I found out I was pregnant with twins, but ended up losing one of the twins. And so in the midst of all of this, I'm dealing with this Mm -hmm. all by myself. And I'm saying by myself in the sense of I'm having to make these decisions. I'm having to decide whether or not I'm going to keep either these two girls at the time or now I'm keeping this girl because she's by like she's the one who made it and at the time it was like okay I have two boys I was a boy mom and so I've always said that I never really wanted a girl just because of some things that I experienced in my childhood and my upbringing and I've shared that online and that can be found anywhere online especially on my YouTube channel I've shared it um But at that time, I had done so much work from my separation in 2015 to 2018 that personally I had grown into like two or three different dawns at that point. Mm -hmm. And mentally, when they told me that it was two girls, like two two females or whatever at the time, I was like, oh God. So for the two boys I have, you're gonna give me two girls. Okay, no, I don't know about that, you know? And then when I found out I lost one of them, I was like, okay. I'm going to do everything that I can to get through this pregnancy to make sure me and her are good. Well, at that time, things were starting to get a little better. Business, I'm basically closing out books for the year so that I can probably get prepared to file for taxes and all of that. Because see, here's another thing we don't talk about as Black businesses, especially in the sports industry, is the fact that you got to pay taxes on this stuff that y'all say y'all doing. <laughs> because you you need to report that. And so... I'm getting things lined up and then I get through the holidays. I think during that time I moved at the time and yeah, I had moved right before Thanksgiving and then moved into this new space. My mom came down to help out. I had a tribe of friends, family members that made sure I was good. My aunt, my cousin, one of my best friends, Nikki, um, you know, a spiritual life coach that I have, Carolyn, she's also a classmate of mine from Oglethorpe University. I had my pastors that visited me very often. I've even had followers just come by to drop things off to make sure I was okay and good. Me and my kids, me and my kids, uh, Sean and Christopher, if Sean was visiting. So, um, I get to the new year, 2019. Super Bowl's getting ready to happen in Atlanta. This was going to be my biggest like okay let me prove show my skills i'm gonna get ready to show up blah 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 so i'm going to all of these little random meetings throughout the city all of january where it's different sectors it's like the art scene it's like Mm -hmm. you know parties and events and stuff like that it's like the tech scene it's more like how everybody in this city is about to back what's this sporting event that's coming to the city of atlanta february 1st hit that's when i had my first seizure 
And at the time, I didn't really know what caused it. And all of the month of February, I'm in and out of the hospital. And my hospital stays ended up getting longer and longer. And so when the Super Bowl hit the beginning of February, basically, I was in the hospital overnight, um, basically throughout the weekend, covering the Super Bowl. I had people that were working for me through Fans Favorite Fan. I had um, other, other people who had contracted writers or photographers or videographers out through me, mm -hmm. um, basically all over the city. I had people running all over the place doing things and making sure that people are getting their content on time, things are being posted and blah, 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 fine, great. But in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this, the only people that noticed what's really going on with me are the people that actually worked with me and that's mm -hmm. my fan favorite fan team. And they would check in, they would come by as much as they could, but any and everybody else, mind you, I posted through all of this. Nobody's asking me how I'm doing. Nobody's asking me if you need anything. Now, mind you, I'm one of those people that it took a while. It took this situation for me to learn how to ask for help. <laughs> but it would have mattered a hell of a lot coming into this industry and doing the things that I have done in this industry for people to be mindful enough to say, you know what, damn, she's actually still working through the shit she's going through. You get what I'm saying? And there are probably a lot of black women in this industry that are working through some shit they're going through. Um, I think there was, uh, I think her name is Terry. I could be wrong. There was a young lady who she, I think she shared she had to do a surgery or what have you, but I don't think she gave specific details um nope it's not terry it's terica oh yeah 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 she's about the closest <laughs> i've seen to a black woman in this industry really talk about a personal issue that you're going through and to show that you're taking a break and that it's okay to take a break and to come back even stronger when she came back she hit the ground running same thing for me you know going through all of what i went through um it really showed me who was for me, who wasn't, and that was okay. I didn't take it as one of those things where, oh my God, I'm gonna hold a grudge against this person. No, I just know the next time you come to ask me for something, it's a no to you <laughs> because mm -hmm. I know if I need you for something, you, you're not gonna be there for me. Um, and getting through 2019, that was, I tell people, and it's, and it's, I can laugh about it now, but I tell people going through 2019 was me going through my first pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was like quarantine. I wasn't going anywhere. I was stuck in my house. I wasn't really doing anything but seeing doctors and things like that. And then when Grace came, she came early in March, towards the end of March, actually, but she was due midway through April. She came early. She ended up staying in the NICU for a month and a half. She didn't really get out of NICU until, I want to say, the weekend or so before Mother's Day weekend. And then I ended up right back in the hospital Mother's Day weekend with seizures all over again. And so getting through that year, um, I'm like, okay, I got to get a grip on this. And so I changed doctors. Um, my OBGYN uh, center fired me as a, as, a, as a patient because they felt like I was the way that I shared my journey, because there are so many black women dying right. while either pregnant or giving birth or after mm -hmm. giving birth. 
I felt as if the best way for me to document what was happening with me was me doing my YouTube videos, sharing my posts on Instagram and creating highlights, as well as sharing what I could on Twitter, because you can just find it. And come to find out, there were a lot of women who didn't realize that they needed to have an advanced health directive where you can tell people what you want to happen to you if something happens or if you want to do a blood transfusion or not. I talked about that. I even had my estate attorney come to the hospital, sit bedside, and it and it basically the doctors felt some type of way because she was there because they were like, are you preparing to die? And I was like, no, just in case you you can't continue to take care of me the way that you're supposed to. And I do die. I do know that my children will be taken care of. I do know that my my wishes will be carried out because I have this updated will. That's your responsibility. I, listen, it was just, it was just one of those. Then, it was hell all the way around. And see, for me, sharing all of that, that rubbed them the wrong way and made them feel bad. And I was like, you're firing me as a patient, but I've already fired y'all. I'm never coming back to y'all. I'm never dealing with y'all because you didn't have my best interest at heart. And then the thing about it was my OBGYN, she was a black woman. <clears throat> so when everybody says, go see somebody black, go deal with my, mm, I'm always like, let me stay out of that conversation because you don't want to hear my side. You get what I'm saying? And it's just a medical field issue that, they just feel as if when we tell them we're in pain, it doesn't even matter. It's like, oh, you'll be fine. Just lay down. No. I mean, this was no. legitimately taught in med schools. And I think people have to remember that is that it was taught in med schools. And we're not talking about up until like the 1900s, the early 90s. We're talking about into the 1970s. They were still teaching med school students that black people right. had thicker skulls and were more capable of taking pain than white people. And that, that lives on. I mean, we, we know about this. So. To this day. And so getting through 2019, I think I, I switched doctors already, um, tried out this holistic way of dealing with uh, a lot of the issues that I had. And I started seeing a chiropractor and a massage therapist at the time. So uh, I guess whatever it was that was bothering me, it needed to be dealt with differently than just giving it medicine or giving it something or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so by... September of that year, I had flown to Tampa because there were some meetings going on with the Super Bowl happening in Tampa. And I have worked with the Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay Sports Commission before um, for the national championship back in 2017. So it was like, okay, sure enough, you know, reaching out about me coming to come and cover or be a part of the fan experience in regards to the Super Bowl and in what capacity. Mm -hmm. So um, did that. That was my first flight. And when I tell you, I think I had a seizure before I got on there and it wasn't as bad as that I don't need to go to the hospital. It was something that I could kind of like get through. Mm -hmm. But when I came back, I had another seizure <laughs> and it was just like, okay, you made it through that. Well, on my way back, um, the following year coming into 2020, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with fans, very fan. I'm still trying to work through, you know, some other contracted contractual things that I already had stuff going that was going to end in 2020. So it was like, okay, let me finish out the year again. Um, don't have much to report for taxes, but I still got to report taxes, get that together. And 2020 hits and I'm like, okay, whew, there's the breeze. We're good. We're floating. We're going right. And so, um, I get through the month of February, Super Bowl's in Miami. I was contracted to get a 
couple of students to do some volunteer work in Miami. I physically wasn't going to Miami. I wasn't ready for that. So I was like, okay, whatever, cool. Get through that, March happens. And I think it was the week before Grace's birthday. That's when quarantine hit. We had to be in quarantine. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to take another little pandemic break, basically. You know, it's like, that, that's kind of how I looked mm-hmm. at it. It was just like, okay, well, I was already at home trying to figure this mess out. So, okay, great. So I'm getting through that. And <laughs> the summer hits. I want to say it was the summer. Was it June? Yes. No, May. May hits. I have a severe, severe seizure to the point to where I'm at. I'm sitting at my dining my dining table in my kitchen. I get up. Somehow I have a seizure between getting up into my daughter's high chair. She's not mm-hmm. in the high chair, by the way. She was taking a nap. My son was in his room um, on a Zoom call for his class, right? And I hit the floor. He stops what he's doing, comes to check on me. And I'm like, I, I'm just going to lay here. I'm going to be all right. By the time he hit the hallway to go back to his room, somehow I got up and I fell forward, hit my head on my kitchen um, counter, busted my head wide open. Mind you, did not stop from there. For some reason, I decided to get up and say, he said he remembered me saying, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm just going to lay down. Mind you, blood's going everywhere. I keep my, I'm in my living room. My entire body collapses there and I'm just there until the neighbors, the neighbors were sitting outside in their little deck thing. Basically, my apartment, there was like a little deck patio in between both of us. We shared this little space or whatever, but they were sitting outside having breakfast and they heard the hits. They heard the falls. And it was like, wait, no, we got to knock on the door because we know she's there with her kids by herself. Mm -hmm. And when they came in, the pictures were gruesome. And they made sure to take pictures just because it was like a matter of, I wouldn't have remembered anything. They needed to show the ambulance. They needed to give them something. And thank God they had like a Polaroid camera. Like they printed it out and gave it to them or whatever. So mind you, go through that in May. June hits. Um, Because um, that, that was the beginning of May. June hits and I'm dealing with, you know, all of this facial stuff. My face is blown up and things like that. But I'm still working in some capacity. Like somebody's emailing me about some work, um, some consultant things um, as far as like advising a company on how to get more fans to respond to this new campaign that they have that they're rolling out with the NFL or something or um, working with past clients who are now coming back doing something new um, with with their um, company or what have you. So I'm going through all of that, celebrating the kids' birthdays throughout that month. And I want to say it was like early fall of 2020, where it was like I had to make a decision whether or not I was going to still cover the Super Bowl or kind of tap out for the most Mm -hmm. part. And I felt like at that time I was doing too much work and I didn't need to do that. Well, when we went to visit uh, my other son who lives with his father, um, I always talk about my blended family who lives with his father right outside of Tampa. Um, we had the best time. Like we were down there for like two or three weeks. So basically most of the month of June. But when we returned, I me, me and baby Grace at the time got immediately sick. And I said, okay, something about this is not right. Because we were down in someone else's house, had no issues, <laughs> no nothing. 
no symptoms, no, no fogginess, no like blurry vision, mm -hmm. none of the things that I had been experiencing before. And I get back home and I'm like, okay, something's telling me to get my place tested for mold. There was mold in the house. Was it black mold? Yes. Oh my goodness. And then there was mold that was also like, you know, you have to look up within your state to see what type of mold is the mold where it's like le lethal, what have you, whatever you, or it's something that you could, you could basically remediate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had three of them plus the black mold. Three clusters. And, uh, no, of three, three, three of the other molds. Three varieties yeah. of mold and black mold. So four <laughs> different molds in your yeah. home. So, and I knew nothing of this. So mind you, had moved into this place before, like after I found out I was pregnant, blah, 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 lost that baby, remember? Went through all of these different issues, health issues, things like that. And now I have this new baby in this place where it has mold. And you mean to fucking tell me, I've got to figure out how we've got to fucking get out of here immediately. And like you had to get to an attorney, huh? Listen, and my ex-husband is, is an attorney, so he handled that. You get what I'm saying? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's why I tell people, look, you need an attorney. I'm going to put you on my ex-husband, holler at him, you know? But it was one of those things where it, to me, being a woman in this industry, yeah, I could have been on the sidelines and I could have been pregnant and on the sidelines covering the games, but there were other external issues that I was dealing with that I didn't even know existed, if that makes sense. So it kept me limited in my coverage and the things that I was doing. So when we were moving around and I'm realizing when we go home, this is an issue and ain't, ain't a whole lot of people talking about mold because yeah there's mold in your home but not like that not to those numbers to the fact that the guy the day he comes in to test he immediately tells me after he tests my kitchen mind you you walk in mm -hmm. my kitchen is to the left at the time and the living room is to the right he goes to the kitchen first where the accident happened that had everything <laughs> so he immediately tells me is there a place you and your children can go and you can't take anything with you Mm. huh <laughs> no not really <laughs> you know so I had to make a decision mind you mind you at this time this is when I'm having to make the decision whether I'm going to continue on with planning on doing coverage with Super Bowl continue on with these clients continue on with whatever business aspects I still have going on at this time it was a lot and well, let I me, but then then, then let me say this then because the other thing that we share is that we are both bipolar one. Uh-huh. Um, you were diagnosed earlier than I was. You were diagnosed at like 16, I believe. 16. Mm -hmm. And I was diagnosed at uh, 30. Okay. Um, I know those situations because one of the things I remember, and not knowing early on in, in, in living with this, was that you know, good stimuli to other people are negative stimuli to us. Yes. Um, yes. Like my wife says that, you know, to this day, she says that the, the two days during and after my daughter's birth were horrible for her mm. because I was horrible. Uh -huh. And beca because I was just adjusting to something that I had no emotional capability to access. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And over the different parts of my career, both personal and professional in my life, those moments arise when I have felt that same kind of thing where there is those things are all converging at once. 
there are certain things in this industry that are really great about it for people like us, the ability to shut down your schedule for a while and say, I'm not going to the ability to be by yourself in an environment and say, I can just be in here and type, or I can just be in here and create content. I don't have to deal with the emotional part of this, but also the negatives of the crazy hours that you have to work when you deal with sports, the, 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 the personalities you have to navigate, the frustration yeah. you have to deal with, the deadlines that can sometimes create a sense of impending doom, all those things. And you're going through all this other stuff in your life. Mm-hmm. There are certainly points in my life that that would have near broken me. You yeah. know, I, I have never had a problem telling my audience. Yeah. I have survived five suicide attempts in my life. Mm-hmm there was a point when that so those things would have would have ended it and i'm so glad you're still here thank you and i say the same to you because i know you have also been down that road um but it's one of those things where you know looking back at it and talking more about it because i was on a podcast where the young lady talks about shame in general in every aspect and different instances in people's lives. And at that time, you know, when she reached out, I was like, oh, I'm not shameful of nothing. Like, <laughs> I was for a long time. For a long time, shame was a part of, because I, you know, we've done. I think, and I think for me, it's because I experienced it early on. So I can't say that I've never experienced it, but I can say that right now, how I look at, cause she's always, and even throughout the podcast, she's like, Don, you, like the way you look at things is just so refreshing and just different. And I say that because I was able to experience the things that I experienced early on. And then I just kept going, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? There's this thing where I, I shared in that podcast about my grandmother, where she always said, keep living. And that's something that I'm probably going to get tattooed on me sooner or later. <laughs> but um it's true if you keep living you keep getting through that you you be okay with sitting in those feelings sitting understanding what those emotions are understanding how you are as a person and how you can adjust your environment to you especially as an adult we we, we can we can change those things as an adult as children not so much no. you know we gotta, no. deal, we gotta deal with it until we get out but when we get out and we have that choice, you have that choice to make those things happen. And that's why I was like, okay, I got to leave this marriage because this is not working for me no more. And I don't think you understand that if I stay here, something, I don't know. I'm no, gonna- and, and I mean, it's, it is literally life or death and in ways that people don't understand because for us, the part we that are I far did. more likely to hurt ourselves than we are to hurt other Thank people. You. Thank you. And that's 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 the part where it's like people, that, that's why I pointed out, I don't feel like a, there are women or men, Black, that are really talking about those personal things that we have to deal and deal with and navigate through um, so that our next generation, they won't feel like they're by themselves. Now, when I started talking about um, the seizures. And then I, start, I talked about my small um, depression bout that I had or episodes I had. Then that's when, you know, some of the newer, um, the newer generation um, started popping up into my DMs and saying, hey, let me talk to you about something. Or can I share this with you? And I'm, I'm open. I'm open. If I follow you and you follow me and you want to DM me, I'm wide open. Trust me. I've been doing this 
for for almost over a decade, if not more than that, um, because I'm a certified peer counselor as well. So I deal with other people in real life. Um, but for me, and knowing everything that I was going through from 2019, 2020, going into this year, I had to just keep going. It was one of those things where it's like, you know, for black women, we're always told, even black men, we're always told that we're we're strong. Oh, you're so strong, or you're blah blah blah. But listen, I'm weak too. And um, you have the right to be weak. I'm vulnerable too. <laughs> I, I got my down days too. You know, like you know, some days I don't feel like a damn queen. I'm okay with that. You know, I, you know, it's it's. Some it's, days I gotta sleep. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody sleep. Sleep. Yeah, like days. there are literal days I where I just my naps. <laughs> I have told my, my wife knows, and and it's we you know we get to that. She is the first person who knew when I got my diagnosis. We had just started dating. Mm-hmm. First person who knew before I told my parents. I told her, mm-hmm. and I told her you can get out. You know what I mean? Like yes. this is your chance. Right. Get out because I don't know nothing about this. I'm just learning it. And I don't want to put you through this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's she's been there through all of it, and it's not it's not easy. It's and not I know easy. I can't I cannot fathom what it is like to live with me. You know what I'm saying? And I tell people, <laughs> as as nice as it looks on the outside, on the inside, if you can get if you can get as close to me as you possibly can to really see how my life is, to see how I am, and how I deal with the people that really have been there for me then that says a lot about you as a person and a lot of people I don't let get close to me like that I don't really yes I share enough online yes I'm very transparent but there's a whole lot more that I do not share mm-hmm. and I be and I tell people it looks like I'm telling all my business but you don't know all Man, my business <laughs> but no, I got some stories it's because of the disorder it's because of the things that I've experienced and you know I you know at this point for me dealing with the hiatus of the sabbatical of fans favorite fan it I have grown so much to where (laughs) towards the end of 2020 there were people coming to me investors coming throwing like literally throwing money at me like can we give you 15 grand can we give you 30 grand can we the highest I got was like maybe 72 grand for the company excuse me and let me tell you what they look like. White men. Okay. There was one, there was one investor group where it was two white men and an, and an, and an Asian male. They want to buy your reputation. They don't want, they don't really want your authenticity. They want to buy your rep, your reputation. And there's no price on that. And even if there is a price on that, it's six figures, honey. It's not 72 grand. It's not 30. 15 grand. And the thing about that is, is yeah, I could have easily sold and been done with fans, favorite fan and just kept it moving, but I'm holding on to it. I don't know what we're going to do next. I don't know. I do know that it's active now, thanks to the Atlanta voice, my former employee who who I talked about earlier, I left the position and thought I was going one way and life happened. So now I'm here, but left on good terms to the point to where they could be like, Hey, why don't you go down to, you know, Tampa and cover the Super Bowl as a media member? Now that's outside of what I was already going to do. And of course, yeah, I'm jumping at that opportunity because that says a lot about our relationship and the work that I have done even 
through a sabbatical. You get what I'm saying? Even taking the time to rest, even taking the time to heal, even taking the time to just deal with me and my family. So that says a lot. That really says a lot. And I'm grateful for that. Do you think that we are still, because of this mental health part, now I was reading an article on ESPN today and there was a, a young man, he was a first round draft pick last year. And clearly he's having some issues. I, I forget his name, and it, but the gist of the story was this. This is a young man who got cited a couple times last year. Once he was at a party and attempted to jump off the balcony, but was restrained. Mm -hmm. At another time, he got into a confrontation with um, some law enforcement folks while he was driving. Mm -hmm. This is 21 to 22 years old. For, for me, those things sound familiar. You know what I'm saying? Those things sound familiar, but I'm not trying to diagnose this young man, but my thought is, A, he needs some type of help. Yes. Nobody does that in life. You don't go up and pretend or think about jumping off of balconies because you're okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the response from the coaches was, he's got a long way to go to prove that he wants to be in the NFL. <laughs> this lack of empathy still that we see, the dehumanization mm -hmm. of the athlete, the constant viewing of them as just basically bodies at work mm -hmm. and not human beings inside these bodies. Right. And their lack of that lack of attention to what it takes mentally to go through all of this, to put your body physically through this, to deal with fans, to deal with the media, to deal with, and everybody thinks that the check makes it okay. And then we mock guys like Kyrie Irving who said, I needed time yeah, because my yeah. mental health wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And we mock that as a society, we still have a really long way to go before we understand we really mental do. health. We really do. And I just feel as if I'm with you when I see those stories and I see what the response is from not only just the coaches, the coaches really bother me because you're with this player. You have access to this person and you mean a damn tell me you can't find an outside therapist maybe to come off campus to be come on to campus to assist him if whoever it is on campus ain't working like to it's just there's so many other resources that they can freaking utilize and that's that says a lot about what I try to do with coaches that I know of that deal with players I've had coaches call me in the middle of the night mind you I don't encourage nobody to do this because I would not answer but there are certain coaches if they call me Nine times out of ten, I know that they're having an issue and they're, they're wanting to, they want me to help counsel them through that or help them understand what they need to do first thing in the morning when they can get this person or this student athlete to a safe space or make sure that they're okay through the evening and what they need to do first thing in the morning. I just, no, they're not doing enough. And I'm going to repeat that. The NC2A is not doing enough. The NFL is not doing enough. The NBA is not doing enough. The WNBA is not doing enough. And if I need to keep going, I'll keep going. Nobody's doing enough because when you see here and you tell me that it took, because to me, what happened with Kyrie, I want to slap every media member that wrote a story about him, about him not doing what he was supposed to be doing or him not doing what he should be doing because he's paid. I want to slap. I want to slap every media member that 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 wrote, wrote wrote these stories because there's certain shit you shouldn't write. There's certain shit you should be like, you know what? That might be a story, not for me. And yes, we all have jobs. Yes, we all have things that we have to do. But what if you question the very thing that's put in front of you and you say, hey, but what if we look at it this way? 
Because guess what? That's our job as journalists. We got to look at it from all angles. But the portrayal for him going back to the bubble has been that Kyrie is crazy. And once you start throwing those words around, and I don't, I don't, I try not even, I try not even to try to use the word crazy. Oh, you look because I've heard it. Yes, you know, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. And then it's then you don't know my struggle. You don't know my struggle. Right. And then it's just for me, for college athletes, like those are my like the recruits that I've dealt with or the players that I've gotten to be family and friends with or what have you um, and their family that have trusted me throughout their recruitment processes and things like that over the past eight years. Listen, they mean a lot to me. And if they're going through something and they don't know how to communicate that, their family will call me and say, hey, can you talk to their coaches or can you sit down with them or can you show up at school um, to walk him into a meeting with them so that they can kind of understand? And yeah, for some of the coaches that I've had to deal with, they understood what someone was able to put words on it. But then there were some who pushed back and was like, well, no, I think he's acting out. No, he's not acting out. And if he is acting out, it's a cry for help. That's another aspect of these things. They're doing, I know for me, my suicide attempts was a cry for help each and every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can say that. I wasn't ready to go. No, not at all. But it was, okay, what if I did this? What if I get to the hospital and they ask me, you get what I'm saying? Like those type of things. And so to me, when you look at those things and you have the type of reporting that comes out of these situations too, that first and foremost says a lot about a journalist and their media training. And I think probably because we, 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 we have this lived experience that we deal with on a daily basis, we can see through that lens, but the average journalist cannot. And, but to me, I feel like as an average journalist, you should be educating yourself on things that you can't see. Right. Whether it's diversity, inclusion, um, things that you don't have the the words for yourself to write about because you're going to offend somebody or whether or not you need to find out more training because that's another thing that's another thing that I don't feel like a lot of journalists are doing this day, these days especially newer generation they're not getting the one thing I give credit to the Atlanta voice if I came to them and said I wanted to take a workshop or a clinic or something like that they backed me you know, still to this day, they back their they black their um, writers and their editors and things like that. And I feel like that's important because you should be challenging me to be better. It's not it's not a slight to me. It's not a it's not a. I love hard edit. editing. Like it's, please, it's not a bad credit. You know, a, a critic or what have you, or critique towards me. It's just you're letting me know you want me to get to another level in 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 my work because there are a lot of writers out here that are stagnant and wondering why they can't get further than what they are well you're not challenging yourself and in Mm -hmm. challenging yourself you have to educate yourself on certain things so i know for a fact they're not doing enough and the resources are there and if someone like us can sit up here and tell you here's here's some things you should look at one one two and three and then here are some other solutions that we can suggest one two and three you get come on you gotta do you gotta do more than that and the thing about it is, i think it's about control I think it's because if you allow, and we see this all the time with athletes where they say, this guy's too smart for his own good. He's got too many interests outside of the game for his own good. And when you see that, I think it's so much about control. You know, knowing that they're not utilizing the resources and they're they're wanting to keep control of the actions of these players and, you know, what's happening with them. And to me, it's, (laughs) 
it's very, it's very, and to me, there's, there's, there's two faces to this that I see as a parent, number one. When I look at these things and I see what's happening, especially with the student athletes, I'm like, where's your mama and where's your daddy? Now, I'm it's not, a very patriarchal system. I'm not, I'm not trying to knock nobody that don't have these parents in their lives or what have you. But to me, if I'm your mama and I know you or your daddy <laughs> and know that you're going through these things and I know that you need these things, I need to actively come and be your advocate. And that's another, that's another aspect of, of what's happening with these athletes in general when you don't deal with it and you push them over, like what, what used to happen at University of Florida, you know, with the Aaron Hernandez and, you know, Percy Harvin and some other people, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> um, when you actively let them get through the hoops, mm-hmm. let them continue to do what they're doing, eventually, if they don't make a life change where they're not doing these things once they're done with ball, then they become what they become. You get what I'm saying? And to me, it's a matter of you were okay with what was going on with this particular student athlete or athlete in general, as long as they were producing wins, numbers, whatever Mm -hmm. you needed on the field, you know, from, 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 from game day to practices maybe. But for me, it's, it's, it's very sad because we have journalists (laughs) who are okay with reporting on these different types of stories where it's like, you know, Oh my God, how dare he, or Oh my God, how dare she. And it's just like, no, like, are you, are you, are you a person? Are you a human? Like, do you have issues that you deal with on a daily basis? You know what I'm saying? Like you gotta be fair in your reporting. And I don't think a lot of people are. The last thing I wanted to hit on with you, Okay. It's something that you have spoken out about the last few days. And I think it is a, a, a story that I could have anticipated because I <laughs> thought it was a, a ticking time bomb when it would happen. Deion okay. Sanders gets hired as the coach at Jackson State. And I, when people asked me about it at the time, Cheers. I said, <laughs> you I said this, is either, <laughs> this is either the greatest or the worst thing to possibly happen to HBCU football. And mm-hmm. after one game, I am convinced it is the worst thing to ever happen to HBCU football. To have that man come out there and make it make it about him. Mm-hmm. To have to be com, com, to be addressed as not Coach Sanders, but as Coach Prime. To be wearing your own branded Letterman's jacket on the sidelines. <gasps> it has DS, not Jackson State. It's got <laughs> DS. For Deion yeah. Sanders, it's yeah. got your own colors, not the yeah. Jackson State colors. So you tell me that in after all of that, you beat up an a NAIA-level team, and you think you did something, and then you want to come in there, and the first thing you want to talk about is my stuff is missing, mm-hmm. and then lie after they find that it wasn't stolen, it wasn't taken, it's all together in one spot, mm-hmm. and got moved. But yep. yet he still is talking about it like that. Yep. And no one is talking about the game. Nope. Everybody's talking about Coach Prime. Yep. First of all, if you've been following me, this is just to whoever's listening, you know I I I am a 
I am a Mississippian to my heart. I'm from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I'm very proud of my legacy, my family's legacy there. I'm very proud of my heritage there. I'm very proud of the, the history that's linked to my family there. Not just overall state's history, but my family and the work that they do there. Okay, that's number one. Number two, Hattiesburg is home of Southern Miss, you know, mm-hmm. far country, you know. Yes. <laughs> um, Steve McNair right down the road, you know, like, but Steve McNair went to Alcorn State, which we are all familiar with. Family friend, still miss him to this day. Very unfortunate situation. But my family has either gone to Southern Miss, Alcorn State, or Jackson State. The people that I hold dearest to my heart and my family all went to Jackson State. So my sister, my immediate family, my, my mom's sister, she went to Jackson State. My sister went to Jackson State. So I was looking at it from the lens of me knowing the history of Jackson State football and what it means to get into that position. To me, that's a coveted position. That's just me. I was even there when I want to say, and I'm going to look it up as we are on the phone because I do not want my mama to get on to me because I don't know this man's name. Hold on. Give me a second. Give me a second. Peyton? Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> Harold Jackson. Oh, okay. Yes. When Harold Jackson was coach, to me, that was like, the to me, that was pinnacle. the pinnacle. Like, that was it. So anybody that was coming out to him and getting that position, you had to know how important you were going to be to this university and its history. Okay, now three, we're gonna talk about prime because prime is different than Deion Sanders. That's that's my opinion. I look at you as I look at him as someone who I respect as a player. And I'm gonna say this, and I don't give a shit if he asks me or if whoever wants to tag him, you can surely tag him and me in the same thing. But I do not respect him as a man. I do respect him as a coach and a player, but I don't respect him as a man because ultimately most one thing that fans forget when you have these coaches at these schools, I don't care if it's power five. I don't care if it's HBCUs. You also have to pay attention to the man. Who is the man? For example, Clemson university power five school. Who is their coach? Dabo Sweeney. Who are we cool with? Dabo, the coach. But Dabo, the man, don't give a shit about black people. <laughs> right? I had to pull a cop. Hey, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't sit back here to play with Clemson. So another example, to prove to my point so I, can get, so I can get to it. Ohio State. Everybody that knows me knows that I am an Ohio State fan, too. I, I know I'm leaving something for the Ohio State University, and they're going to have to put it in my name, whether it's my John F. Kennedy library or something. I don't know. But they're going to dedicate something to me because I am a dedicated fan. Mm, I have been and blue. will always be. Go blue. Good luck with that. But, <laughs> but Urban Meyer earned the name Urban Liar from me because of how he left Florida and me knowing his track record, track record as a man, not a coach, 
as a coach, yeah. In your house, they think, yeah, we're getting this SEC, winning this coach, and blah, blah, blah. Are we going to the national championship? Yes, I was at the first college football national championship in, in, in Dallas, in that big-ass stadium, AT&T, built by old dude. I ain't worried about that man. I'm not saying his name. But my point is, as a man, look at some of the players that have come out from under him. And they have the might, they might have the spotlight a little bit, but eventually their troubles caught up with them. So here it is. We have someone like prime, quote unquote. And you mean to tell me that you've got people defending the fact that he took this spotlight from his team. He's, he put it on himself and then he had. And, I, and, and this is a tweet I posted. I said it was very barstool of him to do what he did. He shitted on their win, and then he turned everything around to this negative narrative about Black people in general. Because mm -hmm. let's talk about it. Your stuff was stolen, supposedly, quote-unquote, while you were coaching a game in Veter Mississippi Veterans Stadium in Jackson, Mississippi. Coach, your stuff has been stolen twice before, before now. And each time your stuff was recovered and given back to you. This situation here, I don't think he even bothered to even ask his staff if they thought they knew where his stuff was. Because honestly, if your assistant is that close or on site to assist you with whatever, that should have been the first person to find you post the game and say, hey, I got your shit in the safe over there. And what <laughs> is he looking for? Wait, wait. What are you looking for your wallet and stuff immediately after the game anyway? I've never known a coach to spend that time because it's about a third. We know there's the 30 minute cooling off period required by the NCAA before you have the press conference. And I have never seen a coach in their office after that. The coach is in the locker room with the players and come. The press room is usually antecedent to that locker room. You do not go to your office. Never, never and happens. Then, and then let me add something to that. And I don't care what people say when I when I give this observation, but I'm very observant as a person. I've never heard of a coach leaving their wallet behind. Like, what is the point of it? What I've never heard of a coach not even having their phone nearby. Even on even if even if they're on the field and you might see their phone in a in a in a holster on their side, along with the, whatever their in their headset is or what have you, but you see that they visibly have their shit on them. Why you leave your shit behind? Why you bring all this stuff to the stadium in the first place? Why, yeah, why you bring jewelry and everything? Because it's about you. It's because it's about you. And let me, at this point, it's because you don't feel safe. He thinks, you but it's, this is the whole security. thing. He has separated himself from his own campus. Mm -hmm. He has stated, essentially, from the beginning, when you say I'm going to live in a gated community uh, and anybody can recommend some nice communities for me, well, you are setting yourself apart through your own words. You don't have to say it during the press conference. Everybody knows the football coach don't live where everybody else lives. That's fine. We know you're rich. You don't have to go out there and state that in front right. of other people. Right. He has made it a point. I got to be Coach Prime. It's Prime Academy. And we had we knew about the academic problems that he had with those kids at Prime Academy. We know about the transfer violations that he had while he was at Prime Academy. We know about his association with Barstool. We know his association with these churches that have been caught financially mismanaging these funds. And you put all of that into Deion Sanders and who asked for more things than any other coach in the SWAC has gotten. And you put those things all together and you give that man that kind of power. 
and he says he's going to promise you something, HBCUs are not in the business of making those kinds of promises because exactly. the financial backing will not be there. And when you start making those kinds of promises, we see it. I mean, you see stretches where it's yep. grambling for a while or Southern or Winston-Salem yep. State has had a great run every now and then and stuff. You'll see them, mm-hmm. but you ain't turning Jackson State into – he thinks that he can – I I fully think that Dion is cheating and trying to get kids to come in. And he's not cheating. The cheating the, the way – again, all these coaches are cheating. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think Dion is doing his own <laughs> different kind of cheating. And I think that he's going to be really bad for the movement. It's a nice way of cheating. Right. But I mean, I think he's going to be bad for the movement for these kids who do start to see that maybe there are other options for them instead of going to PWIs to say, I might want to go to an HBCU. But the key words you said there, key word before that, that you said there was key words, I should say, was that if they, they, they gave this man power, they give this man this power, man, I'm talking about the man, not the coach, not the player, but the man. And yes, he's doing a lot of talking. That's what he does. He's doing a lot of talking. Yes, he is who he is on the field. I'm not going to take that away from him. But what I'm going to say is, is you're not about to come up in the state of Mississippi and act a damn fool like that and think that us, those of us from Mississippi are not going to freaking call you out. There have been tons of alum who have had something to say about what he, what he has done. And even though my sister, we had a conversation right after everything had happened and I talked to her and she said she, she understood how he felt because the only reason why she understood his rant was because maybe his rant was misdirected. And I say, and she said, she said that because she felt like he had to deal with so much with that stadium being frozen you know, with all these other issues that they had leading up to the game, that maybe that man just really needed to just get something out. And like I told her, man, the man needs to know how to control his actions. That the press didn't do that to him, though. Mouth. That's something you talk to with the athletic director. That's something you talk exactly. about to the university president. And you don't you talk go. about that to the media. And there you go. That's something you talk about internally. You deal with this internally. And then if y'all want to put out a, a message or a statement, then you all do that shit. But you don't do that post game in an interview like that. Because you put your university out there. And as somebody, like I said, as somebody worked as a SID and in university communications, you don't ever want somebody throwing out an accusation. Mm-hmm. Something that you could be legally, you know, have to deal with right. just because they got a feeling. No, you're right. That's something that has to be discussed. We got to, the things need to be investigated before we, you go out there and run your mouth. And he right. didn't do any of that because like you said, I don't, I don't feel like he could be, he could talk about state and he talked about it won. He won the game 53 to nothing. So you right. can't, whatever the thing is, you want 53 to nothing, talk about the 53 to nothing. If you don't want to have be up there long, don't be up there long. Right. Go sit down somewhere and get you whatever you got to get off your chest. But you embarrass the university. It's been a, it's been an entire journey to even get you guys to this point to even have a game. Here it is. You were excited about getting the ball, the game of the, the ball game, the ball of the game or what have you. And you overshadowed all of that moment to talk about your belongings being missing. 
sorry, sir, I'm not worried about your belongings at this time because I really want to know about those players that you want to call out and say that they gave their all or that you saw improved. I want to hear about how you all got through the, the, the unfortunate conditions of the stadium and still had fans in the stands and made it happen. I want to hear about how, you know, you are looking forward to the rest of the season and hoping that the other schools that may come across these issues, they need to stay encouraged. That's what I want to hear about. I don't want to hear about all this shit you done brought Sell black college football, man. That's your, you are the most prominent figure in black college job. football now. Your this job is to sell that game. Exactly. And it's that simple. You know, and he didn't. He didn't. And, and it was very unfortunate. And it was, it was one of those things where I've had off, off social media conversations. And I even talked about it even when he first got there. Um, Matter of fact, I've talked about it with the Atlanta Voice and some of their um, their hard hitters in sports or what have you. I talked about it then. I felt like this wasn't a good decision. It wasn't. I understood the significance of it. I understood what they were trying to do. I even still support the AD at Jackson State now, Ashley Robinson. But guess what? I still don't think that this was a great decision. And here was your example. Now, one thing I did tweet was, is if the AD and the president don't sit down with him and kind of get him to understand how, how important it is for him to do his job. And I mean, do your job as a man, knowing that you are the first example for some of these players of that father figure of, of, of who are of that, that celebrity you know, football NFL player who is coming in to coach me and give me advice. Yep. You're acting like this now. What makes you not think that these players aren't going to act like this when they get to the league or if they get access to getting to the league or if something happens in their lives where they don't show out later on in life. See, that's, that's what I'm saying. You've got these people who I can honestly say that I can probably count on this hand out of all, out of my entire coaches network. And I'm not talking about just black coaches. I'm talking about power five schools included. Five of them. I can outright say they are good men trying to do their jobs the best way they know how. Now, whether somebody come behind them doing some stuff, that's on them. You get what I'm saying? Or whether there's a booster that's doing whatever they're doing on the table, that's on them. But I know I put my name right behind him, period, to this day. But someone like a Deion Sanders coach prime? No, no. no. And he could sit up here. He could win the swag for all I care. He could sit up here. He could get He could get Jackson State into a bowl game that's not affiliated with the bowl games we have now. Right. He could do all of this that he's talking about. And I still am going to tell you there's – no, there's no conversation needs to be had. That's just how I feel, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Dawn, thank you so much. I, I had a great, a blast doing this with you. I hope you have well, fun. Thank you for the time, and I appreciate you um taking a quick pause too, because baby girl had just woke up from a nap. So I do want to I want to thank you. Hey, you just, we managed you. Literally, managed you really gave me the space to really just be, and I appreciate that, and I want to commend you. Um, as a man, as some as someone in sports doing what you're doing and giving this platform to people who are not seen and heard. And as much as I can be seen and heard, it doesn't help to not only just, you know, just show love to people who continue to support me um, or who have been there or who have questions. I mean, I'm here. So I do appreciate you so much. And thank you for this opportunity. Tell folks how they can follow and find you. 
Um, just type in Don Montgomery on Google. No, I was like, <laughs> um, no, but on Twitter and Instagram, it's underscore, it's at underscore Don Montgomery. Um, and Break of Dawn on YouTube. Um, but those things can be found in my links on my bio. And you can always visit fansfavoritefan.com to see some of the things that we have done in the past. And when it's time to get it up and running, trust and believe it's going to be smoking. All right. Well, I will be eagerly anticipating that. And y'all know how to follow me at DM Grub on Instagram and Twitter and the website hitpwithdg.com. Don't forget the store. Get you some merch. Help support a brother while I try to make this thing work. So until the next time, I am David Grubb. And she is on my own. This has been Hard Face.